0: Hello, and welcome to the Pip to Pair podcast. Our guest this time is Sophie Pinder, the project officer for a Back from the Brink project that is saving a bird called a willow tit from extinction. Her endearment for the birds and the determination that she has to make this project work is totally transparent. I think you might be just as surprised as I was with the amount of human history associated with the birds, I, I really wasn't expecting it. OK, come on, let's do this. It's time to get acquainted. You are now listening to Pick to Pear with me, Sarah Jane Vanstone. This is the podcast that introduces you to some of the most hardcore nature conservationists and the stories behind their latest projects. Hello. Hello, Sophie. Sarah Jane. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. <laughs> oh, it's uh, it's nice to hear your voice. <laughs> well, um are you sitting comfortably?
1: I I am. I'm outside in a Mhm. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm all set
0: to go. Okay, well um I suppose the starting point would be please could you tell tell us um what the name of the project is that you're working on and its fundamental aim.
1: Absolutely. So um, I'm working on the Back from the Brink Willow Tit recovery project, uh,
0: which aims to
1: basically improve Willow tit habitat quality um, and improve connectivity in the Dern Valley, uh, where I'm based, which is up uh, in Yorkshire, South Yorkshire, around Barnsley. Um, So yeah, uh, improving habitat quality, connectivity, ultimately, to improve the conservation status of willow
0: tit. And what what is a willow tit, and <laughs> what what makes it so special?
1: Sure. Um, so a lot of people ask me what willow tits are. I admit that before I started working on this, uh, well, so Yorkshire Wildlife Trust, I didn't know what a willow tit was myself. Never heard of it. But um, it's basically a small bird uh, of the tit family. Uh, it sounds it's quite widespread, found across Europe, Asia, um, but in the UK we have a distinct subspecies uh, of willow tit. Uh, so they're called Poiceal montanus kleinsmithii. Wow! <laughs> yeah, I know. Quite a mouthful. Um, so it, the the subspecies we have in the UK is um, completely separate to any other willow subspecies in the world. So we actually have the only known Klein Smithy uh, in the world, which is pretty cool. Um, they were the last um, widespread bird to be discovered in the UK um, in 1897, and that was because they are they look physically um, identical to the separate Marsh Tits. Um, even today, people can't identify the two on. Physical characteristics alone—it's the, the vocal uh, that birds emit, so they have very different calls, um, and that's how they are uh, identified. So, still very difficult to tell the two apart. But um live in young woodland, sort of scrubby, thorny habitat, and they use deadwood, wood, so standing logs to excavate their own nest holes, which is really unique. Other birds will sort of use existing cavities in trees or nest boxes to make their nest, whereas Willett it they're, they're built quite full nests. So they act almost like a woodpecker. They uh, excavate soft, rotting deadwood, um, and they'll actually make their own cavities, which they'll use to, to nest, which is unique um, in, in England, certainly amongst pit species. Um, they're sort of between blue tit and great tit in size, so fairly small for birds, and they'll really eat invertebrates associated with damp conditions, so things like crane fly, uh, daddy long legs, as you call them, the caterpillars, that sort of thing. And yeah, they, they're unique in a sense, as well as excavating their own neck. Um They don't Flock with other tit species, so usually over winter, things like great tits, blue tits, long tail tits will all flock together, kind of a safety in numbers sort of thing. Whereas wood it kind of try and keep themselves. If they do flock, they'll uh, sort of stay on the back end of the flock. Kind of, you know, they're the sort of the smaller bird that doesn't really mingle with the others. So, yeah, really charismatic. Uh, for, for such a tiny species but yeah they're, they're doing really well um, well they're, they're doing better in poor industrial areas of the country so like the Dern Valley and places in the Midlands Yorkshire, Lancashire um, things that where sort of coal industries came to an end in the, the 80s is, is where they seem to be doing better really.
0: Do we know why that is? Um, there's a few reasons, so they need good um,
1: habitat connectivity, so the, the sort of scrub habitat that they like, um, it needs to be well-connected because they don't fly across big open areas um, of landscape, so things like arable fields, farmland, that sort of thing, they, they kind of stay away from because they, they won't fly across it to reach new places whereas in post-industrial landscapes we have um, those features kind of already there, so through uh, railways and canals, which were used heavily in, in the coal industry, when, when all of that closed, the railways and the canals also closed, they were sort of rendered uh, unimportant. And over decades, two decades, what happens is because they're not being used, Grubby species will start to develop. So, species like um, birch, elder, that sort of thing, uh, they, they grow really quickly and they're pioneer species. So, they, they develop, they sort of the first species to develop and they develop all across these linear routes which are already in place um, during the industry. So, it creates a nice connected habitat. Um, so, that's kind of why they favour industrial
0: places I suppose that that um, that takes us nicely on to the point of what mm. what conservation techniques are you and your team of people using to to keep that connectivity how how do you mm. create that perfect perfect niche for them um, it's difficult because
1: um, they are they are picky you know they they are quite niche habitats um, so it, it's useful for us that that connectivity is already there um, in the Burn Valley. In other places, it, it's not. Um, but what essentially what we're trying to do is, in a lot of places, reverse natural succession, so the process which takes a grassland through to a woodland. Um, those kind of processes used to exist naturally because we had. Um, controlled populations of deer, which would browse, but not so many because we had natural predators like wolves. Basically, that, that balance has been disrupted. And so if we don't manage um, scrub habitat, good willow habitat, eventually it turns into mature woodland, uh, which is no good for them. So a lot of the, the work that we are doing is um, woodland management uh, in places where Willow tits it, are kind of just clinging on, but in a few years, the habitat won't be there. So we're doing uh, what we call selective thinning in woodland. So taking out particular trees, um, that opens up the canopy in a lot of places, which allows a good understory to develop. And what Willow tits it, really like is good structure. So they tend to favour open woodland, um, so fewer tall mature trees with lots of younger trees and shrubs um, things like bramble they're particularly like so that's kind of what we're doing in more mature woodlands but also to create that connectivity we need to create uh, more patches of scrub. so we're planting uh, typical species that willow sit like so horse thorn Elder willows, uh, that sort of thing, and uh, making areas wetter, so willows favour damp areas of woodland. So things like blocking um, up streams with natural materials called leaky dams, basically holds the water where we want it to, but it doesn't stop the flow completely. Um, and also digging scrapes, shallow scrapes, so areas can hold. Water all around, uh, much much better, really. Um, so that's habitat management, mm. which is sort of what what I'm leading on. But um, we're also doing some science, some pioneering technology. So we are fitting certain willow with with uh, radio tags and colouring. Oh, yes. How, how, <laughs> how does that yeah. Well, with, with difficulty at first. Um, so, this has never been done on Willis before. It's been done on similar species, great hits. Um, basically, what happens is a licensed professional will set up um, a ringing ride. They'll put up a mist net, uh, which is basically a, a giant net on poles. Um, think volleyball net. Uh, yes, and what that does that's is. That's a perfect it, description. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's happening is, is birds will will fly into the net um, and the, the licensed professional will, will fit them with uh, a unique colouring combination. So you'll have one colour fitted on one leg and another colour on the other leg. And what that enables us to do is identify that individual. So say you've got um, the bird with, with a yellow ring on the left leg and a red ring on the right leg, we can say, "Oh yeah, that is Willetit, Bob or, or whatever <laughs> um, and then when that bird is picked up elsewhere, uh, we know sort of how far it's moving, that sort of thing. But the radio tracking is is a bit more a bit more interesting. It gives us a lot more data, so will is with uh, a tiny little uh, tracker on their back uh, which is fitted with an aerial and what that does is it emits a unique signal uh, while the bird is is flitting around um, and that's picked up by a receiver sort of like a, a giant aerial which the tracker walks around with um, and it, it picks up the signal and it can hone in on on where the bird is so even if you can't see it you, you, you can still pinpoint its exact location. Um, and that's really interesting because we can monitor where they're moving, how they're moving, where they're spending a lot of time uh, for, for like a week's worth um, of data. Uh, and that gives us an idea of their, their territory size, um, but also what kind of habitat they're using. So once we've pinpointed all of these, all of these places, we can then do habitat surveys at these points, so we can see the, the type of structure, if there's any key species um, that are consistent with where it's spending a lot of time, and, and all of that will influence our future management and how we advise landowners, managers,
0: that sort of thing. It's really, it... really interesting. Yes, that's um it It really is what what data have you collected so far so um has mm. has the data that you've collected at this moment in time influenced what you're doing currently
1: yeah so we we're in the second year of the project and we we did a, a, we did a, a couple of months tracking last year which gave us some data on on some different birds um Basically, they, they they move about 500 metres, uh, which isn't particularly far. They're no. quite a sedentary species. That's not far so, at all. No, so this is sort of um, pre-breeding, so January through to March. Um, they won't move as far anyway because what they're doing is they're defending their particular territory. So at that time of year, they know where they want to breed and they're... They're kind of staying in that general area. So they're not they're not moving past for forage um, or anything. What they're doing is they're, they're holding their ground essentially and stopping any um, competitors for their female or, or their nest sites, uh, which is really interesting. The habitat surveys are going to be taking place um, in the coming months. So that'll give us a load of fresh data on, on what we're doing. We have a, a kind of general idea of what kind of species they like but this will sort of either solidify that or throw a completely new angle on, on what we've been doing um so that's what's to come which is
0: really exciting i just uh i can't get over they only move 500 meters um mm. i wouldn't mind being a willow tip sometimes <laughs>
1: yeah, I know. yeah, just... yeah they're, they're quite large and lazy
0: <laughs> um other than you mentioned some barriers that we are up against, um, succession yeah. and habitat fragmentation. Is, yeah. there, is there anything else?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so practically, um, when when we first started doing the radio tracking, because no one had ever done it on a wheelchair before, we did we run into some hiccups. So uh, we found that they're actually quite an intelligent species and they were actually flying over the mist net avoiding them completely, whereas the blue sit and the great sit, you know, would, would do as you would expect. But the willow sit seemed to be avoiding it completely. When we did catch them, um, the radio tags, uh, some of them fell off fairly quickly. Um, so that was a bit of a hurdle that we had to leap over. But, um, but also in, in sort of more of a, a wider context, um, there are issues with actually trying to enthuse people about this kind of particular habitat that they like. So scrub um, has had some negative connotations with it. A lot of conservation organisations will, will clear large areas of scrub um, because it's seen as encroaching on, on other habitats. But actually in itself, it, it, it's really important, not just for Willitids, but for lots of other little birds. It's a really important food source um and a good area for nesting. So landowners um trying trying to get them to, to realise the benefits of actually having good patches of people on, on their land. Um especially in public places. So local authorities may see it as a health and safety hazard, especially if you've got lots of deadwood around. They may see it as um you know something that needs to be cleared. Uh sorry there's a tractor going
0: past <laughs> that's quite right
1: <laughs> um yeah so so infusing people about scrub is, is quite difficult um it's also really easy at uh, big areas of scrub it's really easy to get um planning permission to develop on because it's not a priority habitat and people don't always recognize the conservation benefits that come with it so a lot of the time scrub is it's lost habitat lost probably one of the main reasons for, for their decline nationally, um, but also one of the main barriers is that this is a, a, national, a national decline and it needs a national coordinated effort to improve connectivity across counties. And, and that can be quite difficult um, with any species really to get that, that successful coordinated effort um, Even in the Dern Valley, you know, there's so many landowners that we need to evolve. That's just to improve habitat connectivity in in 200 square kilometres. If you're looking at the entirety of England, there's so many more people that you need to to get on board with that. So nationally, in terms of the survival of the species, uh, it it needs a really big push. Do do you think it's possible? Oh... I do. I do think it is possible. Um, so this project is kind of uh, leading the way in, in Willow Fit conservation, landscape scale we call it. Um, what, what we're doing is we're hosting what we call Willow Fit Summit, um, <laughs> which is basically getting loads of landowners into a room and discussing Willow and habitat management options where to survey that sort of thing, giving advice, um, and it's been really, really positive actually. And that was kind of broadened our project area. So from Yorkshire into uh, Lancashire, uh, and even even up to, towards Durham, we've engaged quite a lot of people. So that that's a a good example of a more of a coordinated effort across quite a large area of the country. Um, so I do think it's possible, but I think it's still in, in the in the feeding phase. Um, you know, there could always be more that we could do. Um but it's a good start, at least.
0: Is it mostly adults that you're engaging with rather than um, school children, yeah. for instance? It is, yeah. Um what? why is so that
1: it's probably because of, of the influence. Uh we're looking to some, our primary target audience is probably decision-makers, um, people who can actually influence management um, and and development and that sort of thing. Uh, we have had a couple of engagement activities where we've made Willow Fit mess boxes. Um, but but generally, we're finding that younger people are perhaps a little bit harder to reach. Um in this particular
0: instance. Would you like to see that change over time? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: you know, they are the future, after all. Um, and, you know, as I say, I, I'd i never even heard of a Willisit before I started working here. Yeah. I highly doubt a lot of other people will have heard of them, know uh, they even exist. And by no. the time they get to my age, I don't, want to, I don't want it to be at a point where actually Willitix don't exist anymore. Um, so, yeah, it, it's obviously really, really important to engage younger generations, younger people, um, and we're, we're trying to find a lot more ways to do that.
0: You're, you said that you're, you're two years into the project. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that you're on schedule? Is there a schedule? The,
1: yeah, the, so, you know, we have targets every year. Um With the project that we, that we'd like to do in terms of uh habitat management, I think we're definitely on course. Um, we have covered quite a lot of areas um across a lot of different landowners as well, so we've engaged with the the council, the environment agency, uh Yorkshire water, that sort of thing. Um, and engagement wise actually you know it, it might not be the younger generation, but we are engaging a lot of people. Um, and I think the momentum that the project has gained is, has been really, really successful because we are getting um, inquiries from further afield, so down in in Northamptonshire, Devon, uh, all of these places are actually coming to us and saying, look, we have Willetits on our site. How can we improve it? What should we be doing? So, actually, I, I think we are doing... Um, a Really good job in terms of engaging landowners. Um, yeah, I think we're on track, and I think by the end of the project, we will have reached quite a large amount of people, which is great.
0: When people are coming to you, you know that something's going yeah. right, it's precisely yeah, what you definitely. want.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it it gives you a real sense of, of pride, um, and a sense that you are part of something that, that's really quite big and. Um, pioneering and that you know people are obviously familiar with with the project now um and they think oh yeah this is where i want to go if i want some advice yeah it's great it's great
0: can you tell us a little bit about the the group of people that are involved with the habitat management mm-hmm. so what sort of yeah. a- environment they create and um what the atmosphere is like it's really relaxed most
1: of the time. Um, so it's usually me and uh, a group of volunteers, uh, most of who are retired. But oh, yes. um, we have had uh, university students, a couple of university students come along as well to try and further their careers in conservation and that sort of thing. It, it's usually a really relaxed atmosphere. People, you know, laugh and they joke and they get on with it. And, but I think people really feel that they're doing something good then they understand why they're doing what they are doing Um, and it creates quite a good happy atmosphere. A lot of times in conservation you feel like you're really up against it, you're fighting uh, the tide um, because there's there's so many barriers to overcome but actually with with this project we feel like we're really making ground for it and that we're doing something really really good and that we are making progress with it
0: yeah especially yeah uh, especially when there's a, a biscuit involved I think that there will always be a smile
1: yeah we we had a, a poll the other day of what the best biscuit for a taster is um and someone made a full presentation <laughs> going to, I know going through all the different the different biscuits for a and um and uh, the good old, the good old uh, ginger nut one in the end, everyone loves the
0: ginger nuts. <laughs> That's real enthusiasm. Yep, absolutely. um uh, this this is a um, quite a big question, but I, I think it's in, quite it's important yep. to ask. Um what why do you feel that it's important that money is being spent to save this bird species? Because mon- some oh. might say, um, you know, I see. I see birds that look like willow tits in my garden, um, mm. coal tits, for example. Why, yep. why Why? should I care? I never see them anyway, so what does it matter? <laughs> it's, it's a really good question. Um, and I think
1: one of the reasons is that this country is the only place in the world where this species actually exists, this subspecies. That um, so we are responsible for the, the world population, which doesn't happen very often in this country. Often you get species that are found all over the place, but actually, you know, we're down to uh, about 3,000 head, um, and that's the global population when you think about it. And we're, we're responsible for the survival of this species, it's a key species. Um, you know it's it's what we call a, a bio indicator, so it's a it's a species which indicates the quality of a particular habitat so in this case, if relative a present in a in a wet woodland, for example, we know that that wet woodland is really high functioning and really good quality, so they give us information about the health of our environment and that is, is becoming a much more um uh, important in in our society, in our culture. You know, wet woodland is a, a key habitat. It it also helps us, it prevents um flooding, uh takes in carbon from the atmosphere. There's so many benefits that it gives to to us as, as people. Um and willows is are kind of that flagship species really. Um but also I think the the reasons for their decline ultimately come down to human developments and human intuition. So at the core of it, um, you know, if they go extinct, it's going to be on us, really. Um, But in terms of, like, an emotional connection, I have quite an emotional connection to them. Um, They're a really charismatic bird species. Uh, they're, They're characteristic of post-industrial landscape um you know they're, they're charming and you know i think ultimately for for humans of a species you know what rights do we have to let species go extinct um you know should we should we just let everything go it, it doesn't quite feel right um when we can actually reverse some of the things that we've done and actually keep population strong. So.
0: Yeah, I can, I can hear the passion in your voice and I can, I can hear yeah. how important it is to you. What are, what are the future aims then? And what, what are your hopes for the future for the species?
1: Hmm. Well, <laughs> ultimately um, we want the, the conservation status to be improved um at the moment, well, will it's are uh, red-listed, which means that they've undergone severe population declines over um, a period, over 50 years. Um, so ultimately, we, we want more breeding pairs. Um, and, you know, <laughs> ultimately, in conservation, we always say, oh, my ultimate aim is that I don't have to have a job. You know, if everything was was fine and, and living well, then I, I wouldn't need to do a lot of the things that I do. Um, but for, for other land managers to have the tools to um, implement good willow habitat management, uh, which will benefit a lot of other species as well, um, you know, different birds and vertebrates, that sort of thing. We want we want people to understand the processes. Uh, to understand the benefits and to be able to, to implement good habitat management, really. That, that's kind of the
0: future, the future aims. And you, you mentioned uh, habitat protection. Do I dare mm. mention Brexit and how that might affect um, the protection? <laughs> 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 yeah,
1: it's, it's a tricky one. Um, obviously, a lot of our environmental regulations do come from the EU at the moment, it's a little bit up in the air how, if we if we do leave the EU um, what kind of regulations we will be putting in to replace those um, and, and how <laughs> how that will replace what we've already got it, it, it's tricky because there's so much uncertainty around it um, if you're put in, in a position of well, I don't really know what's going to happen um we have we have national environmental laws as well uh which which will stay in place so there are protected habitats um under u k legislation that are protected um but things like Willicit habitat you know it was never protected anyway, so changing those perceptions, especially with something like brexit coming along um it's all a bit up in the air, really. So I don't know how
0: it's going to go. Well, I think I'm going to bring it to an end um, with this, with one last question. Yeah. What brings you the most joy in a project like this, Sophie? Ooh. Well,
1: I think in terms of the project, it's been absolutely amazing to see the response from different people, landowners in particular. Landowners who aren't particularly engaged with conservation, um, the Environment Agency, Yorkshire Water, other utilities, companies, you know, in a lot of cases, they've approached us, not the other way around. So that's brought me a lot of joy because it, it means that there is there is something out there which people obviously do care about without me having to come along and make me care in the first place um, is quite intrinsic to us as a society, which is obviously really positive. But the most joy that I get is actually seeing a willetip, Um which doesn't happen very often. But yeah, I, I do get quite excited when I see one. It, it, like it's, it's that rare. But, yeah, I love it.
0: Yeah, that, that's beautiful thank you so much <laughs> not at all, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Sophie certainly knows her subject proper deadly knowledge and what she said about ultimately the aim is that she doesn't have a job because the efforts of people have made it possible for the population to remain stable is selfless beyond comparison and I don't really want to say any more, as it's so powerful and thought-provoking. Join me next time when we will speak to another big-hearted conservationist. But in the meantime, please get in touch on Facebook by typing in the Pip to Pair podcast and at S J Vanstone V A N. S-T-O-N-E on Twitter I would love to hear from you until next time